0: Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to customerswhoclick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. Back at it with another episode of Customers Who Click, and we've got another cracking episode lineup for you today. We're zooming in on the world of behavioral analytics in CRO with none other than Sean McCarthy from Lucky Orange. This is the stuff that Sherlock Holmes would have drooled over if he was into e-commerce. We're talking heat maps that show where the action is on your website, session recordings that are better than reality TV, and user surveys that tell you more than just, yeah, I liked it. If you're ready to play detective with your customers' online antics, then Sean's your man. Let's unravel the mysteries of behavioral analytics, shall we? Hi, Sean. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just to introduce yourself, give us a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to, to chat with you again. I am Sean. I'm from the team over at Lucky Orange where we build conversion rate optimization toolkit, primarily focused on things like heat maps and session recordings and giving people that data they need to make confident website decisions. My background started in kind of like the insurance lead generation world and marketing. And so I really, kind of, I really came to value sort of the hyper focused and optimized landing page and lead generation conversion marketing machine. And then in the past few years, I've been at Lucky Orange where I'm helping people to really understand and connect the dots between optimization and and the value of a really great website and kind of the overall business growth journey. Awesome. Sounds great.
0: So uh, yeah, how do you get customers clicking?
1: Yeah, great question. I I think the easy answer would be to say, take a holistic view of the entire customer journey and optimize from PPC with search intent all the way through and, and all that stuff. And that's very true. Uh, to give you sort of a nugget maybe, I would think people need to spend more time talking to their customers or at least gathering feedback through some sort of automated uh, feedback loop with surveys or with um, some sort of automated review solicitation or something like that. Because I think without really truly understanding, as you talk about a lot of anxieties and motivations, things of that nature, I think without really digging into that you're kind of depending on the science part of things to get the click as opposed to, to more of the art of really understanding what's motivating them to get the click.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the way we look at it with our method is you've got things like Google Analytics, which is great at telling you where on your website you might be having problems. Then you use the behavioral analytics, which shows you what people are doing there. and But then you okay. still need that why, the why piece. Right.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think behavioral analytics is it's really where we see Lucky Orange fitting into the mold, fitting into the picture. And I think that it does open up that other world of looking at things. And depending on what you're trying to accomplish, the quantitative, the qualitative, the behavior, all this stuff plays a role. And it really depends on kind of the situation you're in. And, and I think that it also runs into the consumer psychology side of things, which you have to also learn. So it, one thing I think that we've, and we talked about this yesterday with our sort of planning session where you're in, is that conversion rate optimization and behavioral analytics can be kind of intimidating. And it can kind of say like, oh man, I, I especially if you're just getting started or if you're trying to grow your company, you say, how can we tap into the behaviors of these people and go beyond these standardized reports that we've been looking at every week or every month? How can we layer in their behavior? And I, and I think that to get started with the behavioral side of things, it's really about having a system in place to help you analyze that on a regular basis. And so whether you work with a great agency like customers, click, or you work with tools like Lucky Orange or Combination or whatever it is to say, let's figure out what these people are really trying to accomplish and what's causing some to convert and others to not convert and how that relates to the real world that they're living in beyond the world that's on your website. And the behavioral analytics side of thing, I think just to put a, put a bow on it is that they're taking behaviors and actions on your website. It's not the only thing that they're doing in their day. So what led them to search for a new sweater? What led them to say, "Oh, it's searching for your brand or whatever." Trying to understand that complete picture is, I think, the best way to approach the behavioral analytics thing, aside from scroll depth and, and the more technical, quantitative leaning analytics?
0: Yeah, I, I think it just really helps you understand, yeah, I mean what 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 people are doing on your website and and then with the surveys and things, why? they're doing it. If you look at Google Analytics, you see that you might get significant drop-off on the product pages, right? No one's adding to cards. or it might be further down. And you might think, well, it, you know, if, if you don't look at the behavioral side, all you've got is that funnel and that drop-off and you just have to guess at why that might be. Right? right. Your guess might be, we charge shipping in checkout and we know that's a bad thing, but can't do anything about it. But we're just going to have to take that hit because that's our business model. Well, actually what's happening is people are adding to cart, seeing that shipping fee and then saying, I'm not hundred percent sure this is the right product and I don't want to pay that shipping fee to get something that might not be right for me.
1: Right. And the behavioral side would say, hey, they're bouncing back and forth, they're trying to find information or this isn't for me or whatever it is. There still is that element of saying, Okay, what should we do about this now? And I do think the survey can come in, the poll can come in and say, if you recognize these behaviors trigger a survey and say, what information missing, or what would you prefer shipping, or what, whatever it might be, to, to really dial in what the actual problem is. Otherwise, you can still take a really informed and well-educated guest to say, okay, what's going on here, and how can we improve it?
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to, right? Small mm-hmm. businesses. I, I I don't know if you have a a kind of benchmark conversion rate for on-site surveys or anything, but you know, from my experience, you have to have a reasonable amount of traffic to get enough responses to get some decent information because inevitably you're going to get some people who just complain about there being a pop-up and so Mm -hmm. those are pointless you're going to get some which are just rubbish some people who think they're a live chat pop up and so they submit Mm -hmm. hi can you help me or something like that yeah so when you take that into account if you only get one or two percent of people who of sessions who respond to the form if then only 60 to 70 percent of those are good you've got to have a decent amount of, a decent volume there. I think that's
1: a really important point. Well said, like, I, I think the same approach can be taken with AB testing. I think we're so quick to say we need to AB test things, but there are some situations where if your traffic's so low, you're either going to get results that you probably shouldn't trust, or it's going to take forever to see any sort of meaningful outcome of the test. And so we press the AB testing button a lot in conversations but there are a lot of cases where similar to surveys, it, it might not be the right approach right now until you start to get more traffic, or it might only be the right approach on certain parts of your site or something like that.
0: But I think if you, yeah, I guess the, the, the point I was going to make actually was even without that data, you, you can make some assumptions, right? You, mm-hmm. you can look at the heat maps, you can look at scroll maps, you can look at session recordings to see what people are doing on your page, you know, wh- what they are doing or what they're not doing. And it does take a bit of time, right? Mm-hmm. You might be able to give us some tips on how to do this in a bit, how to yeah. be quicker with this. But you know, it can be a bit overwhelming. Thinking if you've got no experience with this and you sign up for a tool like Lucky Orange, and you think, "Well, I can look at a heat map of every page, but what am I looking for?" Yeah. Or I can view session recordings. I get a list of session recordings. Where do I even start with this? It's we were talking about this again just yesterday. There, there
1: is a expectation that when you're going to use a tool like heat maps and tool like session recordings, it is going to be an investment in time. I, I think that is something we're going to go to battle with in the coming years. It's to say, how can we deliver this information maybe in a more efficient way for people? But for now, as these tools exist, and generally speaking, a heat map is a heat map. I think what you're really going after with a heat map is trends. And so The trend of the behavior on the page, the scroll depth, where the clicks are, and even moves on and and comparing that then across things like mobile versus desktop versus tablet. You kind of asked in there a way to be efficient with it and take on heat map research to get meaningful insights instead of just saying, hey, let's go look at heat maps for everything. I think that it starts with segmentation. And then I think taking a step back from that, it starts with deciding, okay, am I being reactive? Is my support team saying something is wrong on the site? Is my is our marketing leader saying, why is this campaign underperforming? Okay, well, if there's a related page for that concern, can I go and react to that and go in and find that page? Can I filter the heat map to see the behavior of people from a specific UTM parameter or from a specific part of the world, whatever it might be, instead of kind of a shotgun approach of saying, let's just go look at heat maps for certain pages. I think that if you're trying to be more proactive in spot optimization opportunities, it kind of goes back to what we we're just talking about with the surveys and things where it's like, you probably don't need to spend time on a heat map for a page that's barely getting any views. That's a different problem and probably meant for a different tool, maybe SEO or whatever it is to try and drive more traffic to a page. So you can start with high traffic pages. You can start with, if you have some sort of new feature or something you're trying to highlight, and you're really focusing on that, jump on a heat map there. I would add kind of as, a, as an aside that inside our heat maps tool, at least we also have a tool called form analytics that spots a form on your page. And then it gives you some really great form measurements like which field is causing the most abandonment, which field is causing the most repeated entries and things like that. If you have forms on your website. Now I realize there's limitations, for Shopify merchants, some of them we can't necessarily play with the checkout page, but there are certain situations where that can also layer in another level of understanding of how people are engaging with those pages.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes down to yeah, ha- having something to target with your research, mm-hmm. right? Having that problem that has been identified by someone somewhere in the business, and you think, right, I'm going to look at this page on this website, or I'm going to filter for these session recordings that visit this page Yeah, and see what they're doing, what they're not doing, why they're not why they're not converting as well as we expect, and the other thing you mentioned was new features and things, or or, or just any features really. The hypothesis from someone could be we want to add a video to this section of the page, or it could be we think this video uh, contributes really well to conversion. You look at your heat maps and your scroll maps, and you can see that either the existing video no one clicks it, no one sees it because they're not scrolling to it. Mm-hmm. Or you can see that no one scrolls down to where you are planning to add this video. Right. And so you can say, well, we can prepare this video, we can add it to this page, but if you put it there, it's pointless.
1: Totally. Yeah. I, I'm curious in your work with clients getting to that hypothesis, I, I think a lot of times it's you start with just ideas or something cool you see on another website it also, the hypothesis can also be driven by the research you're doing on that specific site. But I'm curious what the best ways you've seen is to come to that hypothesis to try something on the site. Is it based on the experts within the, the team or is it a combination of that and other things?
0: It'll be a few things and there's always a prioritization that has to come into it. So right. normally we'll start, with, we'll start with Google Analytics, right? We're starting with the basic, where is the biggest drop-off? So that might be, it's it's quite often the product page. Mm -hmm. If someone's on Shopify, generally when someone starts checkout, those conversion rates tend to be quite good, unless someone's doing something funky in checkout. Product views tends to be not too bad a lot of the time. The the biggest drop-off tends to be add to cart. So then we will combine the, well, all all the behavioral analytics really. And in that I include like on-site surveys. We might do other surveys as well. And we're looking at what information is important to you about these products. What's the main reason you didn't make a purchase from this business? All these sorts of things. And then we're looking at where on the page are people clicking? So I've got one client at the moment. I was looking at this yesterday, I think, or day before. And I could see that the heat map was like bright red across their image gallery. Hmm. Like really bright red. It was clear they were getting a lot of clicks there. And there was almost nothing on their product details and product specifications tabs, uh, accordion tabs. So we know this information is important because we've had feedback from customers saying X, Y, Z is important to them. They need to know this about the product, right? They want to know that it looks good, but they also need to know this other information to make sure it is suitable for them. So if they're not seeing that information in the tabs, then we have to think, well, how can we get people to see this more? And your two options really are, Either we make those tabs, those accordion tabs, more prominent, or we give people an anchor button to them, or we put the information where people are already, which is in the image gallery. So that's something we test mm. quite often with clients. You sit on Amazon, right? Probably almost any Amazon product. Yeah. Huge amounts of Amazon products have those annotated images. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you get probably one hero image of the product on its own, maybe two. And then you tend to get information. They don't really care about the, the, the product images themselves. They are just getting those bullet points and pieces of information across to you. And I think that's a really missed opportunity for a lot of brands who spend huge amounts on photo shoots when really, once people have seen a couple of images, they get... And to me, this does depend on the product. Obviously, when it comes to fashion, people want to see more lifestyle images about the product because they want to see how it looks on someone. They probably don't need the the material blend um, on that image. But there might be some other things they do want. If you're a brand that is particularly focused on the way your jeans fit or something, and that the science that has gone into that and the materials used there, that's when you might want to have that annotated image. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people miss out on that. So, yeah, I guess to answer your question, it's a little bit of expertise knowing where to look and what things mean. Because it's easy. The I guess, less educated assumption might be that because no one's clicking on product details, product specific specifications, no one cares about it. Right? But really, I think you need to think, are people actually seeing this? Like, How long do people actually spend on your website? How engaged are they with your website? Is it possible that at a glance, people just aren't seeing these tabs there and so no one's clicking? Yeah, 100%. It? Is that why they don't get the Even within
1: the, the details, there's still decisions to be made. You're talking about maybe you don't need to display the, the fabric blend on something. And if that's a part of your brand lead, you're saying, hey, we're using eco-friendly materials, then it should probably be there. And, and I would imagine that you do have a lot of those conversations with clients that says, what do your customers care about? Do they care if it's made in a certain country? Do they care if it whatever? Or is this really a price sensitive plus shipping costs and timeline sensitive audience? What are those things? if you're going to take up real estate on the page or within the product image event making sure that it's actually delivering a messaging point that the the customer is going to care about and that'll lead them to convert yeah. and also just test things mm.
0: right i'm exploring a test with a client at the moment which i know i'm going to have to sell them on it right i'm going to have to pitch this pretty hard because this they have a shipping protection widget in their cart and i'm seeing a bit of drop off from cart to checkout so i'm like okay no uh, well and in checkout as well so i'm like well may- maybe people don't like this shipping protection but it's on by default so everyone gets it now order wise i think 60 65 percent of orders get shipping protection added right mm. which sounds really good that sounds fantastic loads of people want it loads of people that that's great but it is quite low cost right so it's quite easy to add a small percentage shipping protection my question is my hypothesis is is how many people are just abandoning there because they see that they see the extra cost and they also think if i don't pay fifteen dollars more is my shipping going to be bad right like is it not going to be protected so you kind of gotta you've got to be able to sit back and, and think these things through a bit because some of the data might look like it's telling you one story But actually, you've got to assess it and think, well, is there something we're not seeing? I I can't remember the... uh, It's that paradox, isn't it? Have you seen the thing with that? It's like a British World War II plane. And they showed a diagram showing where it's been hit by German fighters. I have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure most people have seen it. And so what they're saying was, well, we should be putting more armor here where the bullets are hitting because this is where the German planes are shooting our planes. And then someone said, well, no. Because you're only taking the survive is it survivor bias? You're only taking the information from the planes that do come back. Therefore, they're not. Mm. Therefore, you don't need to rearm them here because they're actually they, they're getting back. What about the planes who aren't getting back? And I think it's that they're looking at the shipping data, thinking we're getting X amount a month through through shipping protection, which is like nine point five percent margin, right? Which is great, but what's the conversion drop off? And I did the calculations, and it—if we get them, about a, I reckon a four, four and a half percent uplift by removing it, then they'll be they'll be about breaking breaking right. with it. But they'll have
1: also acquired more customers. It's also an interesting case of realizing that the website for a business, once it gets to a certain size, is just a part of a big machine. And so there could have been a decision made in a meeting that says we should offer this. And there's all these factors that can lead to decisions made on the website. And I think that it's smart to
0: call it out and it's interesting to test it. It's because a lot of tools, I don't want to get too ranty about this. A lot of tools, just, they state factually that their tool will give you this uplift and that's it. Yeah. And so it, from a, if you're not really a marketer, if you're not experienced in e-commerce, but you've started your own brand you're doing quite well, you're going to see that tool. It's going to be advertised to you. You might get an email and you think, yeah, well, why wouldn't I add this? You know, they're telling me 60% of orders get shipping protection and I'm going to earn this amount per order. And it's basically 99% margin. I'd be silly not to take it, but that tool has no data on what the conversion rate drop is by implementing yeah, it. Yeah, totally. And I, I you know, I, it sounds
1: like you've made an educated guess of Hey, I think we could. If we, here's the math. If we adjust this, we pull this out, here's how many more conversions we could get. And I would say, as a part of that research, whether you did this or not, I, I would say, as a part of the research, watching session recordings there makes a lot of sense to say, what, how are people engaging with this block that talks about this shipping protection? Are they hovering over it? Does it look like they're concerning it or reading it?
0: Yeah. Do, do people switch it off and on again and just like, and, and click it a few times <laughs> to see? what it actually shows right. and oh, how many people just don't even really. Yeah. And I, I imagine that's part of the hope of adding
1: something like that to the site is we'll just kind of sneak this in here. People will say, oh yeah, it's great. And they'll move on. But in reality, you're introducing, as you've talked about, people have their anxieties when they come to the site. We really don't need to add more anxieties to their plate about whether or not they should trust your band or yeah. brand or checkout. Or like you said, is my shipping
0: going to be bad if I don't accept this thing? I, mean, I, I don't know I don't know what the legal position on this is in the US, but in the UK, I, I'm pretty sure if my package doesn't turn up, you have to send me right. a new one. Right. Right? The, that's the position. Either I get a refund, you send me a new one, or I'm going to go to my bank and get a refund. So here in the UK, I don't think it makes sense. And so I guess I naturally then take a more pessimistic view on that widget being there and when i do sit on a us site i think well okay maybe that's a bit more normal over there maybe it's a bit more accepted but still how many people are viewing it and going but am i by unchecking this box am i unprotecting my order and then what does that mean like then what happens if if you don't if i don't receive it or it comes damaged does that mean tough luck so for the sake of twelve dollars, maybe I'll buy it, but other people will say, well, no, I won't. I won't, I just won't right. buy it.
1: And it would certainly, this also goes into your pricing and stuff. If you're a really high cost item, it there there may be a different approach to saying whether it's shipping protection or some warranty or whatever it is, depending on the product, they could change your approach there.
0: Well, yeah, so that's the other test. We want to look at seeing if we can do with this widget. Just change up what we're actually offering with it. Because the widget operates exactly the same. I think it just takes a percentage of your basket and adds it as protection. So could we change it to an extended warranty? You click the button, you get an extended five-year warranty on all items in your basket. Or could it be expedited shipping? Get to the front of the line and we'll ship it today if you pay 5% on your order. Those sort of things might work really well because it's an added extra that you're benefiting from, you can kind of take it or leave it. Whereas shipping protection, you might be like, well, I don't feel like I should have to pay for this, but I also don't want an unprotected right. order, which sounds risky. So that's kind of the theory that goes into it. And yeah, like like you said, the the way to kind of discover whether this might be an issue is by looking at session recordings and seeing what people mm-hmm. are doing when they see that.
1: Yeah. it's It is a great way to transition from a trend or a hypothesis into really specific examples of behaviors on a page. And so in this example, we're saying our people, if we want to get visibility on this block, of course, we can look at a heat map and see, are they scrolling? But if we want to see what they're doing while they're above, at, and below, and around, and after they engage with it, or after they see it, then the session recording is a great way to find that. And again, the power of segmentation and and filtering comes into play where we say, okay, we want to see how people that are coming from a certain part of the world or are return visitors or whatever it might be, how they're engaging with this differently than a first time shopper or something like that. Because it, in, in this case, it could be a, a, a substantial difference. If I've already purchased something from you and I've received it from you safely or right, whatever, I may be more willing to uncheck that box and, and trust the postal system to get it to me. Um, and use those session recordings. And even with the relationship as an agency with a client, I, I would imagine it's a powerful tool to share a session recording or to say, here's what I'm seeing in these recordings, um, providing that proof. And, and a lot of what we talk about as a brand is like, you aren't just giving people confidence and optimizing their site. And that's exactly what we're talking about, which is like, you're seeing this happening on your site maybe there's still that gap of, I need to figure out what to do about this. I know it, I see it, I get it. I need to know what to do about this. Yeah, And there there's ways to obtain that expertise over time or with an agency, but that gap to say, what do I do about this? But you still already have proof of something.
0: I mean, I think it's what CRO people tend to be quite good at, right? Going into meetings armed with data and research so that we can say, <laughs> essentially, you're wrong for this reason. <laughs> We're right for this reason. Or even you're right and we know you're right because we've looked at this. One of my biggest frustrations in-house was going into meetings where someone would just make a claim and it had nothing to back it. And I'm there saying, Yeah, but I think we should do it like this because I've got these five data points which tell me that this is what customers would prefer. So I think we should test this. And then it's just no, that's not what I think would work. I'm like, well, <laughs> I care what you think would work. That's not Quite a CRO, but it is, it, it can be difficult, right? And to understand this data a lot of the time, especially when people have so much on their plate, people are under resourced, overstretched. So if you're like, well, like, really, you need to be spending a few hours just analyzing a, a, the product pages with heat maps, session recordings, some customer feedback, and stuff. That's really difficult for an in house person to do. If if it's just the one person in marketing. um, So get how some people tend not to do it and they just say, well, this is what I'd like to change. I mean, that's the battle. Do you tend to give
1: tasks, CRO tasks to clients and say, hey, to pull them into the loop, to say, if you're going to take this on yourselves, here's what it looks like and pull them in there. Is that ever a place the conversation goes?
0: We don't really do it like that. Partly because, so that in fact, a couple of clients we've worked with have specifically told me during the sales process, the reason they're looking to change agency is because they're having to tell their agency too much. They're having to bring the ideas to the table. They're having to do the research and stuff, which they should be doing, but they shouldn't feel like they're the yeah. ones leading on it, right? So, I would be... I think it would be great if my clients were looking at session recordings every now and again. We're looking at heat maps. We're really interested in what's going on. I don't want them to feel like they're doing it because I'm not doing mm-hmm. it. Right? That that's where things go wrong. But what we do is, if, if every bit of research we do is available to the client in pretty raw notes as well. Yeah, we're very transparent with everything, so they would get access to the Google sheet or Google doc where we just. Someone sat there just typing out notes as they watch session recordings or as they're looking at these heat maps. And then they also get the kind of summarized notes, the key points that then go into Airtable, which is where we actually kind of collect key summaries and stuff. So they know exactly what's going on. They can either wait for our regular meetings to be told what we think's going on. They can check the emails that we send, or they can go into Airtable, check the keynotes there, or open up that Google Doc as well and have a look. And if they ask us how to do it, we'll teach them, we'll show them, no problem with that. But most of the time we find that they're than us because they want us to do it and they've got other stuff course. they want to focus yeah,
1: on. I, and when we talk to people about making ERO, if they're just getting started, we really do lean into the conversation of segmentation and, and going after key audience groups and, and really helping people understand that the key audience groups in this world of key maps and session recordings and surveys are the same audience groups, maybe with some tweaks as elsewhere. So if there are things that you're doing to, if you're monitoring certain groups in other reporting, it probably applies here. And that's a great way to make it a bit more of a bite-sized, sustainable thing than just in kind of a clean slate every time you log in. And, And that can make it something that not only is more sustainable, but also potentially enjoyable. I mean, I I really enjoy doing this, getting over that hump to the point where where it is enjoyable and somewhat delightful can be a a major win for a lot of teams. And then you can start to pull in leadership and say, hey, look what we found. This is amazing. We made this change. You get promoted, you keep your job, whatever. It's always a, a positive outcome if you can dig in. Exactly. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah I had an example from a client last year yeah probably about this time last year actually I know a bit earlier it was in the summer they were running a summer sale and over the weekend might have been about a week their conversion rate dipped and they were obviously confused about that and so came to me um, and I looked into it first place I go is Google Analytics obviously Are, are there any major drop offs anywhere and I noticed a lot of traffic was coming through PPC vast majority of traffic, conversion rate for PPC didn't seem as good as I would expect it to be. So I looked into that a bit more and found out they were driving a lot of PPC traffic to a summer sale page. I had a look at the summer sale page and it's mm. all out of stock. So it the next step would have then been to look at session recordings to see, well, the people who hit this landing page, where do they go? What's their behavior? What's going on here? Fortunately, I could I didn't have to go that far because I could see they were driving loads of people to an out of stock page. That's quite like a conversion. Yeah. But, but it's the idea of segmentation, right? I, I wouldn't have got anywhere if I just looked at their website and tried to think up a few reasons on why conversion rates might be. Yeah. I mean, I think even going back to the
1: behavioral analytics question at the beginning, like starting in Google Analytics or your quantitative side is a great place to start and say, something's off here. Or on the positive side of things, time on page is great for this group or whatever it is and then layering in what behaviors might be causing that we can influence because you can't go into google analytics and necessarily make a change that really impacts that you're making the change elsewhere so if you can layer in the behavioral side your expertise and bring it all together and say what's the change that needs to happen that seems like that's where you can make a major impact or at least start with lower hanging fruit, like keeping items in stock and not sending people there if they're out of stock. Or even having a strategy in place that says, yeah. let's have a wait list. Let's offer a discount to pre-order, whatever it might
0: be. Yeah, and like you say, it's not all about mm-hmm. finding things to fix. but right? It's not about yeah, the, w- what's going wrong with the website. It's should, it should be, what can we improve? Because the things that are going wrong, you should be able to find and fix. I, I would say a lot of the time without, without behavioral analytics, without anything special. Because if something is broken, you should be able to find that by just running from yeah. your website pretty quickly, maybe on a couple of different devices. Like, like I mentioned with the product details and the image gallery, right? That's the optimization piece, right? That's the CRO piece. That's people are buying, right? The website's not broken, but we suspect that not enough people are actually seeing the product specifications. So, how can we make it more visible to them? Let's put it in the product gallery where we know that huge amounts of people are clicking. Right. So it's, yeah, sometimes there'll be some broken things and what's going wrong for this specific audience. But most of the time I would say it's, what can we improve about this website? Where do we think people are are missing yeah. some key stuff? And, and what part of what we do is look at what do people do? What do the converting people do on a website? Where do they click? Right. And then that tells us, well, they're engaging with these elements. How does that compare to the overall audience or the people who don't convert and and trying to see, well, what what are the things? And what's interesting about a bit more
1: is that for sure that person converted. The people that don't convert could have not converted Mm -hmm. for a whole host of reasons. They could have not converted because they don't trust your brand. They had a rendering issue, whatever it might be. Their lack of conversion could be
0: anything. They they were here to Yeah, they were here to contact customer service or check their order tracking or something. A whole number of reasons. Or to read the blog. That's the one that comes up a lot, right? It's why we don't really use a store's conversion rate as a key metric because there's way too much going on that'll affect it. It's going to constantly go up and down. Like Every day, it's going up and down, no matter what you do. And one thing that can happen is if you post a blog and then really promote that blog... You're gonna drive a load of traffic to a page that doesn't convert well. Right. And that's gonna affect your overall conversion rate. Right. And then that then causes, well, not too many problems with behavioral analytics because you can filter that out, but
1: actually the expected behaviors, they come here and they read this blog post or they do whatever and they leave. We're not chasing ten pages per session or something. So the in a silo, a given metric, and I think it's something people need to be careful with even when they layer in all the behavioral analytics and session recording, heat maps and stuff is being careful and avoiding making a decision based on a siloed piece of data or a siloed metric. And ideally we hope, and we think that layering in the behavioral side paints the bigger part of the picture in addition to the quantitative, but um, it really does require a, a kind of, it's the art of it, right? It's, it does require kind of a careful and intentional approach to say what's really happening here. And, can we judge the success or failure of this effort or of this page by what we're looking at? And you mentioned earlier, I think it's important is like, sometimes it does just take a confident guess and like trying something out. That's at at the end of the day, you're still, you can't hedge your bets completely.
0: Sure. I wouldn't say guess. I'd say educate, very educated guess, but yeah, sometimes it's, there's, there isn't really the research to back your decision but you can kind of pick up a few points here and there and then from experience say, I think this thing is lacking on this page and therefore that's why no one's converting. Because I guess one example would be like product reviews, right? Adding product reviews to a website. Now, everyone knows that's kind of best practice to have them there. If they're not there, then you can't see anyone clicking on them, right? So in the heat map session recordings, you can't see any engagement at all. So you get no information there. There's nothing in analytics either because they don't exist. Feedback-wise, when you run, you might run some on-site surveys, off-site customer interviews. You might not get any feedback about product reviews, right? You might get, you might even get some feedback saying, "Oh, I looked on Trustpilot, and and there seem to be good reviews, so I bought." So, but you still then have to say, well, essentially, I'm guessing that product reviews are going to improve conversion rates. So, so we run a test on it, but there's, yeah, there, there, there are definitely examples where you, you struggle to, to prioritize a test based on data
1: because you can't gather. I mean, data. I forget where this comes from. It might've even been like Steve Jobs or something, but it's like, nobody asked us to build the iPhone and yeah, nobody said I need to this extremely powerful computer. And there were probably some guys and gals out there saying, yes, we need this thing, but they built it and they didn't just build it on a guess. It's based on all this research and understanding of the market and understanding of human psychology and saying, we think that people will really benefit, uh, from having this thing. So we're going to build it.
0: Yeah. Isn't there something Is it Ford? I have (laughs) a feeling this is actually, those are my favorite. I think it's come out as made up the whole thing about like, if you ask if you'd asked someone what they wanted, they wouldn't have told you a car, they would have said like a bigger horse or well, more horses or something like that, because the cars didn't exist. Right? So how can you get someone to say yes to it? And I think that's also what a Patu horse I believe everything you're used. I believe everything you're saying right now. Say to someone, this car is eight horsepower. Really? So instead of having eight horses, just use this one car. That one really makes sense. So sure. I feel like that one is true. But yeah, I mean, there is the whole. If if you ask people, that's why I mean. Let, let, let's talk about, mm. I guess, questions to ask. Then, like on an on-site survey, what what are some good questions to ask? Because I'm sure everyone's been there. I've I've been there. I've seen surveys that are really badly phrased, or they ask the wrong questions, and you can tell right. that the answers.
1: Yeah, best. or or you just wish it was a real person asking you a question in a chat as opposed to a survey. I'm a fan of keeping it simple and keeping it really obvious. And I think that we can get pretty nuanced with a lot of our practices. But I think like what's stopping you from prevent what's preventing you from making a purchase? What are you trying to accomplish today? There's that there's a framework of surveying that's 4Q or whatever it is where it's like, what brought you to the site? What are you hoping to accomplish? Have you been able to accomplish it yet? That sort of thing where it's really hyper focused on on just usability and understanding where people are coming from. You talk about usability quite a bit and I think that surveys are a great place to get feedback on that. I will kind of caveat though that I think that we do romanticize the idea of a survey and say we're going to get all these great responses and all this clean data and we're going to go from it. I think that you have to be really intentional with the questions you ask and understand the types of responses you're going to be getting and, and not put all your eggs in the basket of survey. I think that especially if you leave it open to an open comment field. And I'd love your opinion or your thoughts on this too. It's like multiple choice versus open opinion. Multiple choice can be great. It leaves you wanting more response from that customer though, in my opinion, a lot of times where it's like, okay, they said I'm here to buy sweaters and your site, but your site is too hard to use or something. That's something for me to chew on and work with. But if I had an open comment field and they were willing to fill it out, maybe they would say specifically what's, causing the challenge for them so i'd say keep it simple and go after
0: it yeah i feel it really depends on what question you're asking and what you can do with the responses there and i think that's it's something again it's just it's i think it just comes down to spending time on prepping the survey before you put it live right just putting a bit more time into it so when you're prepping it ask yourself if i was on this site how would i answer this question And what would I do with that response as the marketer? What can I do with the information that I receive? And if you decide you can't do anything with it, then it's probably the wrong question. Or if the next stage is to ask another question, either ask that question, uh, so ask that additional question next, or don't ask the previous question. So if it was, what is the number one reason you didn't purchase today? And the options were price, shipping information, Size, size options let's let's say it's that if someone picks any of those what can i do with that information Right, not a lot right because size options could mean you didn't have mine in stock it could mean i didn't understand what those sizes meant price is always not price it's always value because they're, they're not sold properly on it but yeah so i think it it really comes down to what the question you're asking is whether you can get a quant response from it And that's acceptable to you, or whether whether you do need. When do do you think uh, it's ask a different question?
1: Imagine there's conversations that people have with you that say, "A survey is going to interrupt the customer journey. Is this going to negatively impact our conversion rate by asking these questions?" Again, it can go back to testing it. But are there situations where you feel like it may not be appropriate, or page types, or website types, or situations where it may be less appropriate to use surveys as a tool?
0: I I try okay. to keep it yeah. to exit intent where possible. Well, so on on desktop it would be exit intent. Normally, the questions I'm asking is mm-hmm. what's the number one reason you didn't purchase today? Because I I don't really want to disrupt yeah. the journey yeah. of people who are purchasing. Right, I'd rather I'd rather send them an email later after they purchase. What was the most important piece of information to you about your the product? So I would use yeah ex- exit intent on desktop, or like a delayed pop-off on mobile i do feel like they do negatively impact conversion because they do disrupt the, the customer journey so you have to kind of say well we're only going to run this a short amount of time we could run it to a segment or at least only a portion of traffic and then at the end of the day we need to think about the value we're going to get from this information right if if we drop conversion rate 10 percent for a month gather all this information and then we improve conversion rate 20% forever
1: that's, Do you ever dig into in longer form surveys and ex- oh, maybe in an exchange for a discount or anything I, I really like the idea of saying what's the number one thing that's preventing you from purchasing but is there a role you think in the process to say I might even take you off site to or follow up via email or submit your email or something like that for a deeper research conversation or thing?
0: Mm-hmm. I've never really done it through the on site surveys I've only done it when we've got the email list. Anyway, we'll send the list. We'll send an email, a survey up to both non-purchasers and recent purchasers, and just ask them various bits of feedback. And it, it often comes down to the business, and then sometimes we might have to do a follow-up. So, I did with one company. It was a custom PC business. We did the initial survey, then we did the customer interviews, and then we found out that people. It didn't seem like people really understood the mm. component, the different components in a PC, how they work together, all that sort of stuff. What you'd consider really important knowledge when you're customizing your own PC. So that then resulted in a third survey, which was, I was actually looking at the data the other day, even though this is clients from like two years ago. Well, the first question was, please rate, oh no, p- pick, pick the three most important components of a PC. What do you consider? What do you think are the three most important components? And then, based on those answers, it was how knowledgeable are you about what this component? How knowledgeable are you about this component? And vast majority of people picked the same. I think probably same four, maybe five components came out top, and then it was massive drop off. Nothing else really got voted for. But I think the Barely anyone was confident in their understanding of these components. I can't, I can't remember the average scores now. I can't remember what rating system we used. I just remember being surprised at how poor the actual knowledge was. And I remember one of the interviews was with a CTO from an IT company who literally told me he didn't know. He knew these were important and he knew kind of the, the more you pay, the better you get, but he couldn't tell me how a processor and a graphics card kind of interact together and how you know whether you've got the right components with each other, whether you're paying the right amount of money. So I think, I I guess the the learning point from that was your, your customers probably aren't as smart as you think they are. If you're sitting in house,
1: all the information about the brand and the product is old to you. It might be new to them. So it's understanding that they're researching and the surveying, the quick survey can help you understand, are there a lot of people here that are trying to research? Are there a lot of people here that are trying to better understand what they need to build this computer? And the the quick survey can get at that and you say, okay, wait a second. People are actually trying to use us as a means to piecing this thing together. They're not just going to dive in and buy the parts that they need and know exactly how they connect and the specific numbers they need, whatever it is. And I, I think that that's a really interesting use case for the survey conversation
0: yeah i love i I really like open-ended questions and qualitative and just saying just tell me what you want essentially but through the whole what what stopped you buying or what information is important to you and then i'm like just i could sit there and just listen to them a voice note in fact a voice note function might be really good the ability to get someone to just leave answer it and then you can actually kind of hear their thought process as well They'll be talking through it and going, well, actually, do I really care about that? Actually, no. Maybe this is probably the that most important thing to me. Sounds like a business opportunity. Well, that would be really interesting. No, let's do it. <laughs> For you guys. <laughs> awesome. We're running out of time, so we're just going to wrap, wrap up. But before we go, apart from Lucky Orange, obviously, have you got
1: another marketing tool? That Yeah, I mean, you- this is maybe just a personal stack, but we've been using Jasper AI writing tools in combination with Surfer SEO recently to do a lot of. Like, we're talking about making CRO efficient, making the content marketing process, making the writing process, making the ideation process, email subject lines, little pick and poke stuff like that has been really helped for our team by Jasper and Surfer, specifically with Surfer. And I'm really disappointed that this is becoming like a they're kind of, su- they're not sunsetting if they're not supporting anymore. They had a thing called Grow Flow that was basically saying, here's these 10 tasks you can take on your site, insert an internal link, write a new blog post, try and get a build a link, do these things. If you do this, it leads to better SEO outcomes. Check, check, check. You do it. You come back the next week and they report and say, here's how many impressions you gained or whatever. It was a really fascinating thing for me. And I'm actually taking some learnings of that, of like, how can we apply that in CRO to say, What's an easy way to package up? If you do this, you'll get a better outcome, and then here's the outcome. I think it's a really interesting thing from the SEO side.
0: Yeah, yeah, just reminded me. I, I was going to ask you about AI earlier. It's. But I think that could be a very
1: yeah. I was love to, it's and that's really something we've been awesome. fooling around with a lot because we know that it's moving fast, and we want to be a part of it. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. F- oh, finally, well,
1: one. I, one, I, one, I, one finally. I think the main thing is to have some patience and to understand that this positive outcomes with CRO are achievable for anybody. Just as your customer, you may not understand how much of an expert your customer is. If you get on LinkedIn and you listen to us talk up here about CRO, we're still figuring it out. We're still experimenting and we're still playing around with these. So I think that it's having patience and understanding that if you've got traffic come to your site and you have people buying your product, there's an opportunity to turn more of those people into customers
0: and to continue to grow and and improve your site. Yeah. Awesome. If anyone wants to, to reach out and find out more, what's the best way of doing that?
1: Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the place that I'm most active. Um, I try and filter through all the, all the nonsense and all the notifications I get every day, but uh, yeah, that's a good place to connect and talk about this stuff. Um, And follow Will on LinkedIn too. He's crushing it. Awesome. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Sean. All right. Sounds good. Big thanks to Sean there for touring us through the mysteries of heat maps and so much more today. If this episode didn't convince you to put on your behavioral analytics cap, I don't know what will. Remember, understanding your users' moves is like having a playbook to your opponent's game. It's absolute gold for any CRO strategy. If you're eager to dissect more analytics with Sean, check him out on LinkedIn. Keep those comments, brain pickers and guest suggestions rolling in at will at customers who or over on LinkedIn. Stay tuned for next week where I'll be chatting with Johnny Longdon about what cigarro really is and why so many people get it wrong. But until then, keep those customers clicking.